Hello and welcome back to Tani Talks Life, the sheer where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Tonight's topic is to live to eat or to eat to live. For those of you foodie out there, myself included, and my family included, and our friends included, do we live to eat or do we eat to live? Let's talk a little bit about this. The Tani Talks Life series, this series, the Tani Talks OT series on hiatus, so we come back in the fall. Tani Talks Perkei Avos, coming back in the fall. And Tani Talks Parsham are on different podcast forums. You can look it up on Google. We're on many different forums. The Daf Shear is on Sheer Enjoyment, and that is the TTL, TTOT, TTPA, TTP, and TTD. Yes, it is confusing on purpose, but each one has its own name, its own acronym. Please feel free to contact me about anything at rebt at sheerenjoyment.com, R-E-B-T at sheerenjoyment.com. The shear should be a zechus for anyone who needs Yeshua, anyone who needs a refuah. They should have one and they should get one speedily, Bekarov. How often does our mouth water when we think of a yummy and delicious food? How often do we count down the hours until we can eat a nice, hot, home-cooked meal? Do you ever catch yourself thinking of where the next place you can order takeout is? Or when the next time you'll get food delivered? Chances are, if you're anything like me, the answer to those questions is quite often. The question becomes, though, why is that? Why are we so geared toward the gastrointestinal? Doesn't it all end up the same way in our stomach? Isn't it just fuel for the body at the end of the day? The other question is, can it be fuel for the soul as well? Can we elevate our physical eating and drinking to a higher level? The answer, I believe, is yes, we can. Judaism teaches us to take the physical and lift it to the spiritual, such as to make a blessing on our food before and after eating it. I'm all for good food, for good snack and a good meal. But is that the main point of my day? Is that the main point of my life? Is that the main point of my existence? The main real question, therefore, becomes, is it that feud food is for us a fuel or a reason do we live to eat or do we eat to live as Elul is now upon us and a few of our holidays major holidays are coming up and they're very food centric then they're coming they're going to be upon us it really behooves us to think about how we view food and how we think about food how many gatherings in general revolve around food Holidays revolve around food. Shabbat, Shabbos revolves around food. Reunions, birthday parties, weddings, brises, engagement parties, Simchat Bat, Kiddushim, Kiddush, so much more. Lunch, dinner, all revolve around food. It's literally food-centric. Food is a central aspect to our life and existence. But is it the central aspect to our life and our existence. H.com points out with author Amuna Braverman, Rabbi Weinberg used to frequently ask, Zatzal, Rabbi Noach Weinberg's founded Aish, an amazing person, he used to frequently ask, are you living to eat or are you eating to live? Obviously, it's not my question. Many people have asked it many, many times over the years, but it's a good fundamental question. Are you living to eat or eating to live? 
Whatever the reality of our lives, we all knew the right answer, she explains. We are eating to live. Food is a means, not an ends. That doesn't mean it shouldn't taste good. Doesn't mean it shouldn't be presented attractively. Hashem, the Almighty, has given us a rich world and we should enjoy it, but with focus, with discipline, with perspective. For Shabbos and holidays, the meals should be extra special. We do want our bodies to sigh with pleasure, but only because the goal is to deepen our appreciation of the day and our gratitude to the Creator. It is never about the food alone. We shouldn't lose sight of the fact that food is meant to sustain us, that we will have the strength to engage in meaningful pursuits and develop our relationship with Hashem, with God. Our forefather Avram used to love to invite guests into his home and serve them a meal. He would use the opportunity to teach them to recognize the source of this nourishment through the saying of blessings. It was never about the food. We should realize the food should be used as a means to accomplish, a fuel, a means to get things done in this world once we have the gas in our tanks. Rabbi Belovsky explains on H.com, if we investigate closely, we'll be able to detect two distinct elements involved in the act of eating. The first and most obvious is that the food enters our bodies and is digested. This gives us the nutrients we need to live healthy lives. But there is a second, less apparent purpose. All of our food comes from plants and animals, both of which are lower forms of life than we. By ingesting them and allowing them to become part of us, We raise them to a higher form of existence, that is, we take their very limited spiritual potential and attach it to a more sophisticated and valuable mode of life. In Kabbalistic terms, we take the worlds of the tzemeach, plant life, and chai, animal life, and raise them to the level of medaber, human life. Think about our weekly Shabbos meals. Shabbos is imbued with sufficient kedusha, holiness, that we can imbibe it throughout the day and have no need for food or clothing to sustain us. However, Shabbos is not just an opportunity to develop our own Kedusha, but also a chance to raise the level of the Kedusha of our environment. Thus, by eating fine foods and wearing our best clothing on Shabbos, we enable those things to attach themselves to their spiritual roots and to become elevated with us. Take the food and make sure to elevate it and uplift it. Don't just use it to stuff your face or stuff your stomach. Rabbi Winston points out on H.com, Jewish law instructs us to make a blessing over food that we are about to enjoy. If you are hungry, you want to eat a nice, red, delicious apple, then you will have to make the special blessing for fruit of the trees. If it is bread you're about to sink your canines into, then you'll make the blessing for eating bread. Fish, eggs, orange juice, you name it, they all require a blessing before being enjoyed. And we want to think about what we're doing, what we're eating. So the next time you chance upon a person who seems to be talking to his food before you, the next time you think about what he's doing, the next time you see him, you might ask him, what are you doing? Why are you talking to your food? He, of course, would answer, hopefully, I'm not talking to my food. I'm talking to God. I am hungry, so I'm making a blessing that I can eat so that I can eat the sandwich with his permission. Is he right? On a simplistic level, yes, he's making a blessing so that he can eat. However, on a more Kabbalistic level, the true answer would be, I am about to eat this apple so that I can make a blessing. What? You're eating so that you can make a blessing? Yes, correct again. 
When one makes a blessing over food, it elevates sparks that are contained in the food and the person himself. After all, elevating sparks is what life in this world is all about, right? Food, in fact, is just physical clothing to hide the spiritual sparks within it. It is not apples or vitamins that keep us alive, otherwise they'd be able to revive dead people as well, which of course they cannot. It is the sparks they hide inside that feed the soul, which in turn provides life for the body. Gather up the sparks around you on the world, in the world, especially in the food. Recognize where those sparks really come from. H.com points out with author Gitta Bixespanner, Eat fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, lean meats and fish, olive and flaxseed oils as the main components of the diet. Without effort, we will be consuming a rich variety of essential nutrients that will promote optimal health and energy. Use mono-unsaturated fats like pure extra virgin olive oil, which we actually use all the time, that does not increase the risk for cardiovascular disease rather than hydrogenated fats, also called trans fatty acids or trans fats. Use foods rich in heart-healthy anti-inflammatory omega-3 fatty acids such as salmon, tuna, walnuts, and flax seeds. Favor only lean meats that afford us more protein with less saturated fat. Think about ingesting skim milk, especially my personal favorite brand that I grew up with, thanks to my mom, that of Skim Plus, which is skim milk with the taste of real full milk. Recently founded on Whole Foods. We've been doing Whole Food orders through Amazon. They're wonderful. They have Skim Plus and many other cool things as well. Avoid white sugar, white meat, white wheat, white pasta, and white refined rice. Use whole grains such as whole wheat and brown rice and noodles. Don't give me the excuse it costs more. Don't give me the excuse it's too hard to find. Nowadays, you could find anything. Just look on Amazon or anywhere. It's easy to find. By avoiding these highly refined foods, which have the, had the majority of their key nutrients removed and remain good sources only of simple sugars and refined carbohydrates, we will lower our risk of high blood pressure. Elevated cholesterol, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and many other things we should never know from such things. In addition, the author points out, eat only whole grain foods. Fresh produce is best. Keep meals simple. They're quicker and easier to prepare. Eat slower. It helps you enjoy the meal longer without overeating. Eat on a regular schedule that will keep your metabolism and hunger in check. For example, we like to eat every day at 5 p.m. Every day, Blineder. So 4 to 5 o'clock is like the meal prep time for me. 5 o'clock is the meal eating time. 5.30 to 6.30 is the getting ready for bedtime or bath time, depending on the day. And then 6.30 to 7, for my kids, we try to get them to bed. So I'm very into a schedule. I'm very machmir. I'm very strict. I very much want them in bed by 6.37. They're 6.4 and 2 at this point in uh, 2021 over here. But you know, we want them to be in a schedule, and I don't care if they're sleeping at 6.37, we just want them in bed. We want them playing whatever, singing, talking in bed. Five o'clock is the dinner. Kids, you know, when they're coming home from school, they want to eat. Too hard for them to wait too long. And I also don't want to wait so long. I could always have a snack later on, but a good healthy snack, hopefully. But 5 p.m. for us, it's good to keep the schedule, the routine. Avoid on. Avoid processed food, thus nothing out of a box. Limit eating out as much as possible. Very guilty of that. Be sure to include the three bodybuilding basics in your meal planning. Protein, carbs, and fat. Good carbs, good fat, good protein. Don't drink your calories. Soft drinks, even diet coffees and fruit juices can add a lot of empty calories to your daily intake. Drink seltzer, flavored seltzer. I'm telling you, you get a good brand, it literally tastes like soda. 
And our special treat, you know, we don't do alcohol or anything like that, but our special treat on Shabbat, on Shabbos, is those sparkling grape juices. I cannot tell you, after a whole day of running around on Friday, literally, Minashamayim, Tamgan, Eden, Lahavdil, when we sit down, when we stand up for dinner, we sit down to drink the grape juice after making Kiddush. That first sip is literally Tom Ganeiden. It's literally Menashemayim. Raspberry or blush, sparkling grape juice from Kedem is so good when it's cold and chilled. It's like my throat is parched from the whole day of running around, not drinking or eating enough. We sit and the kids are in bed, at least in the summer months, and we drink that. It is amazing. So that's like the, the guilty pleasure for Shabbos. But during the week, we have flavored seltzer, and it really tastes good. Kick out those sodas. Kick out those juices. Yes, my kids will have um, orange juice. We'll have orange juice and sometimes we'll mix it with seltzer. Yes, they'll have um, chocolate syrup and uh, and milk on dairy days. They like to do that. But in general, seltzer is a very much mainstay in the house. Very much a mainstay. So watch out for too much salt, sugar, and fat. Moderation is key. Get moving. Make a conscious effort to exercise at least 30 minutes a day, usually five days a week, really 120 minutes. Really, if you want to be even more bold than that, really the five days a week should be three... Um, really, 5, 10, 15. Really, you should get 150 minutes a week. So on work days, at least, to get those 30 minutes a day in a work week. Some shitas explain, some say to get 180 minutes a week or 30 minutes every six days. You can rest on Shabbos. God willing, we'll talk about this idea more in a future TTL, in a future Tani Talks Life, God willing. I think about a school I once had that was 17 minutes from the train. So every day built into my schedule, I used to have the 30 minutes walking. And I don't like to walk slow. I like to power walk. I like to get moving. I like to get on the way. I don't like to slowly waltz myself around. That's not my theory in life, and that's not my theory when walking. So I would power walk, and it would take me 15 to 17 minutes. Other people would probably take them 20 minutes, but that would get me... 34 minutes a day, working five days a week, and I had the good exercise, I felt in shape. Now, you know, working remotely wasn't so easy during the year, and now even in the summer, I'm in a school that's 30 seconds from the train. In the morning, it's a 12-minute walk, so I get 12 minutes a day, five times a week, so you do the math, but that's around an hour, but still, we need to get more than that. Really, we gotta shoot for the 150 or 180 minutes a week of exercise. Whatever way you could do it, you wanna walk, you wanna jog, some people love to walk for miles, I'm not into that so much. I would rather get like a, a, a bike or a stationary bike. I love bike riding. Personally, I love bike riding growing up. Was a huge fan of that. Nowadays, not so posh, not so easy or realistic or feasible with little, little kids. A stationary bike, though, maybe not bad. We had an elliptical. It really just gathered dust, gathered clothing, but maybe a stationary bike, something like that. But whatever you could do in your own house. Some people have Norda tracks. My dad had. You go back and forth, back and forth. Whatever you could do to get some physical exercise is good. Some people like to use workout videos, yoga, tai chi, whatever. Make sure to maximize your health, whether by eating or by actually moving. And God willing, we'll talk more about physical movement in a future TTL, Blineder. So eating and living well maximizes your energy and optimizes your health, making it more than just a diet. It's a lifestyle with built-in flexibility, meaning it can be adapted to fit most any kind of routine. Try to balance your day, balance your meals, especially for little kids. I try on most days to offer vegetables at most dinners I make for the family, sometimes giving cauliflower or broccoli or spinach on different nights, not that the kids always eat it, but at least we offer it. I love that the pediatrician says to us when the kids grow up at each well visit, do you offer three meals a day? And I say, you know, my kids don't always eat three meals a day. They're not such eaters. They're picky. He says, no, no, no. Do you offer three meals a day? And I say, yes, yes, yes. And I love that question. We've got to offer the three meals. Got to offer the good choices at the meals. 
then if they do a good job, maybe give them a little reward. Our current reward is we give them what they call a cupcake, which is really like a non-Reese's version of Reese's. It's like a gluten-free vegan version, supposedly a little better. And they, and they jump up and down, cupcake, 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 if they do a good job eating the dinner, you know? But whatever we could do to try to make sure we do things in moderation. H.com points out with author Imal Esmail Zadeh, the average person spends at least how often a day eating? At least one hour a day eating. Out of 24 hours in the day, one hour a day at least, definitely more for a lot of people, eating. So by the age of 30, how much of your life has been wasted, hopefully not wasted, but how much of your life has been spent on eating? By the age of 30, a person has spent the equivalent of two years on average just putting food in the mouth. Wow. How can we make this a more pleasurable, productive, and meaningful experience? The first step is to eat hungry. When was the last time you pulled over at a gas station to fill up your tank that was already full? Probably never. But when was the last time you ate something when you weren't hungry? Checking your hunger gauge before popping in that random bite will allow you to keep your weight in check, as well as build your self-control. King Solomon, King Shlomo, Shlomo Mach, the wisest of all men, also advises against the unnecessary consumption of food, saying, the righteous eat to satisfy their souls, from Mishlei. The next step is to sit down. You know, many people serve, many people serve, but they don't sit to eat. They don't sit, and they'll eat over the sink, grabbing things that's not the way to eat. I'm guilty of this too, but I have to sit down. At the end of the day, even for a few minutes, you have to sit. Late to work? Running after the kids, doing errands, serving everybody else, no problem. It's wonderful. It's just not the best time to be chomping down your meal. You have to figure out how you could sit and eat with the family. Although it may save time, it's a bad idea. The Rambam in his Magnus Opus Mishnah Torah says that one should never stand or walk while eating. Modern research suggests that we, sh- that we consume fewer calories when we eat sitting down versus while standing up or walking. We're also more likely to digest food better when we sit down and chew our food properly. I always say to the kids, we got to sit like a human. Sit like a human. Do you want to eat like a human? I joke to my wife also, instead of eating on the couch many nights, why don't we eat like humans at the table? Eat like humans. Sit down. Chew properly. Make time. Step number three. From author email Esmail Zadam. Acknowledge you're hungry, sitting down to your meal. Now recognize where the food comes from. Take three seconds, three seconds to acknowledge basic details of the culinary dish placed before you, and that could set the tone for the rest of the meal. Something as simply as verbally acknowledging the work of the cook, especially if it is a parent or a spouse. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, husband. Thank you, wife. Thank you, mom. Whoever, whatever. Acknowledge who gave the food, especially if it's a parent or spouse, can have a profound effect on your mood. Paying attention to all of the individual ingredients can make the experience even more tasty. In Judaism, every time food is consumed, one should recite a blessing of recognition, not a blessing of thanksgiving, a blessing of recognition. Prior to taking the first bite, a common misconception is that the blessing of bracha that is said before eating is a form of thanksgiving. It is not. It is recognition. This is not accurate. While the after-blessing of Birkat HaMazon mentions the act of thanksgiving, the initial blessing makes no mention of thanks. It is a statement acknowledging that God is the creator of food, of the food. And we are essentially seeking permission, recognizing it comes from Him. 
Think about the bracha. Baruch Hashem. Blessed are you. I'm not blessing you. Blessed are you, Hashem. Elokeinu melech olam. God, the creator, the ruler of the world. Shehakol nehiyad bivro. That everything comes from his word. Boremi name is a no. Someone who makes the edible cookies, the edible wonderful nash things. You know, Borei Pari Ha'adama, who takes the fruits of the land. Borei Pari Ha'etz, who takes the fruit, gives us the fruit, makes the fruit on the trees, on the, on the land. We're acknowledging that He's giving it to us. We're not thanking Him, we're recognizing from Him. Step number four, remove distractions. One cannot fully enjoy a meal while answering emails or scrolling through a Facebook feed. Enjoying food is so important in Judaism that it incorporates the pleasure of eating in every one of its holidays, many holidays coming up. Think about that. Every holiday has food. Even Yom Kippur has food before and after. Even Tisha B'Av has food before and after. But we rob ourselves of this enjoyment every time we mindlessly eat. I'm very guilty of this. I tell my wife all the time. And people, I physically cannot eat at work at lunch without doing something, which is interesting. I can't just sit and eat. It's like a weird concept. Just sit and eat and, and mindless. I have to type notes for CSIS for my students. I work for the Board of Ed. As an OT, I have to do this, I have to do that. I can't just eat. But maybe, maybe we should all be better at just eating and not do other things. Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, yada yada, Yeshiva World, whatever. WhatsApp. Just focus on the food. Enjoy the food that Hashem gave you. Don't be gluttonous about it, but understand where it comes from. Don't care about enjoyment. Distracted eating causes your, inge- your digestion to be less. Research shows that the more you distract yourself during a meal, the more pounds you add. So if nothing else, you're adding pounds. Doing simple acts of mindfulness, such as paying attention to the smell, the taste, the appearance and texture of the food, can keep the focus on your meal. Step five, chew, swallow, wait, repeat. Ever mindlessly wolf down a meal in one minute? A person could have slaved for an hour on the meal and you scarf it down in one minute. How sad, how unappreciative, how not enjoying what was worked so hard for you. Scarfing down an entire meal can leave you feeling disheartened. Could also leave you with unwanted extra fat pounds. Taking your body off of autopilot mode while eating has great spiritual benefits as well. In describing ways of going against animalistic eating habits, the great 19th century Iraqi sage Rabbi Yosef Chaim in his famous book, Ben Ishchai, or Chai, gives a recommendation that is short of slow eating down. He writes that one should not reach for the next bite until the previous bite has been completely swallowed. Don't reach for the next bite until the previous bite has been completely swallowed. Step six, appreciate. Now that you're satiated, your spirit is recharged, you have fuel in your body, it's time for some real Thanksgiving without the turkey. Saying thanks is much harder when you have somewhere else you want to go where you have to be. Maybe that's, that's why the only biblical or indeed blessing is the grace after meals. Birkat Amazon, not before the meal. Being appreciative is a core Jewish value. In fact, Jews are called Yehudim. From the word Lahodot, Yehudi, Ho, to thank and praise. Gratitude permeates the entire Jewish experience. From the first words that are uttered by our lips, Moda'ani the Fanecha in the morning, when we wake up. To mention our thanks three times a day in our prayers. Appreciate the meals and where the food comes from. Take time to focus on the family present before you as well as the food in front of you. Eat slowly. Digest. Take it in bite by bite. Understand where the food really comes from and who put it there. 
I often think of the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, and I think to myself, things like that, especially this eating contest, what's the point? That's the sport? To eat as many hot dogs as possible in a short amount of time? Isn't it such a waste? Isn't it utterly disgusting and disgraceful? Guzzling and gorging down as many hot foods as you can in a minute? Or any food for that matter? That is not how food was intended. I find it downright degrading in a way. Let's appreciate food and not gorge on it. Let's value food and not make it into a wasteful sport. When I cook food for our family, when I bake throughout the week or for Shabbos or Yom Tov or the like, I try to make things they like. And I try to put my effort, my full self, my love into the food. People can feel the love of the food you make. If you make it with your being invested in it. Reb Sintorsky points out on Aish.com. The great commentator Maimonides, Rambam, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, himself a physician, devoted much time and space to teach about healthful eating and ways of conducting one's physical existence as part of mandated Jewish practice. In the Mishnah Torah, the Rambam emphasizes the critical role of a balanced diet and lifestyle. An aesthetic stance or denying healthful nutrition is not recommended. On the other hand, he clearly eschews excesses. A middle-of-the-road approach, somewhere between denial and excess, is the ideal standard. Don't fill your bellies to the maximum. Excessive indulgences in unhealthy food, he warns, are the source of all illnesses. Balance is the key word. He also advises those who are hooked on excesses to go to the other extreme, totally give up their addiction, cold turkey, in order to eventually arrive at the desirable middle-of-the-road position. The key then in food, and really in all of life itself, except for different situations, anger, arrogance, etc., is a middle-of-the-road approach. Don't starve, but don't eat too much. Go to the middle of the road. Rabbi Force points out on H.com, the act of eating which grants life to the human being is itself the point of fusion between the spiritual and physical. It is the place where the combatants engage, where the ongoing struggle to forge a productive relationship between the physical and the spiritual is at the fiercest. Since eating more than any other Jewish law brings about the integration of these two opposing forces, it stands forever at the crossroads of life. The issue of keeping kosher in light of the above is at the core of the struggle. The food one has has a profound impact upon one's nature. Modern medicine has only recently discovered that the DNA present in every cell controls the nature of that organism. Similarly, every cell possesses a spiritual nature which is carried through the food chain. One who eats any particular animal ingests its nature and characteristics as well. The fact that this is not recognized by current medical knowledge is of no moment. Hence the famous term, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. Hence, food is central to the struggle between the animal instincts and man and his soul. Certain foods strengthen the animal traits. Vegetative matter has no character and cannot affect man in any way. Animal matter, however, carries the nature of the animal and may be harmful to the spirit of man by influencing and strengthening his own animal traits or imparting to him a harmful nature. Ingestion of animal matter may affect a Jew adversely through absorption of debasing and defiling elements which will corrupt his soul. Absorption of these carriers of corruption will make it most difficult to grow in sanctify and closeness to Hashem, 
God through the ascendancy of the soul and the transformation of the body. It is no wonder that all vegetative species are permitted by Torah law. These have no soul or character that can be absorbed by one who eats them. Indeed, the animals permitted by the Torah are all ruminators that subsist on vegetative matter alone. Thus, the food chain is one of simple foods that cannot affect man in a significant manner. Species of animal and fowl that are carnivorous are those forbidden by the Torah, since one who eats of their meat will be influenced by their cruel nature. While we cannot expect to understand why each of the forbidden species is prohibited, we can understand and accept that God, who created all these species, understands their nature and prohibited those that may impact negatively in a spiritual sense. The phrase really can then ring true. You are what you eat. Careful with what you put in your body. Be mindful of what you are ingesting. Think about what you stuff in your mouth and your face. It can really, really affect you. Listen to this story from H.com with author Nisana Yoel Safran. Hey, catch, John shouted as he frisbee flung his half-eaten mini pizza across the long table to his friend Alan. Well, Alan missed, but the pizza did manage to hit Chuck right on the sleeve of his new white pullover, which, of course, led him to retaliate by fork-flinging a gooey piece of chocolate cake John's way, thus beginning a full-fledged food fight. The battle was just getting going when Mr. Isaacs, the school custodian, walked in causing caught sight of it and began moving fast the boy's way. The kids knew that even though the custodian was old, he was tough. So they called an immediate ceasefire and quickly retreated to the safe territory of the schoolyard, leaving a giant-sized mess behind. As John was about to duck out, something made him turn back and take one last peek. He'd expected to see the man either angrily shaking his fists at them or maybe just quietly starting to clean up, but he saw neither. Instead, he saw Mr. Isaacs holding his head between his two hands and crying. Wow, we must have really gone too far this time, John thought. It must be just too big a mess for the older man to handle, and he broke down over the thought of all that work. John liked to play around, but he didn't like to hurt people. Even though he'd get yelled at, he decided he was going to go back and help the custodian clean up the mess. He sidled closer to the man who was still weeping with his eyes closed. Ahem, ahem, he cleared his throat. Um, uh, really sorry about this mess. Uh, I know it's a huge cleanup job and I'm going to help just, um, please don't cry because of the mess, uh, we made. Mr. Isaacs turned to him and gave John a look that felt like it was going right through him. Not angry, just intense and very sad. Well, he said, I see you're a good, honest boy who's not afraid to own up to what he's done, so I'll tell you the truth. I wasn't crying because I have to clean up your mess. You're not? John asked, surprised. The man shook his head. No. I realize kids will be kids, and besides, in my life, I've done work so hard that it would make this seem like a picnic in the park. So then, um, why? Why was I crying? I was crying to see such a terrible disrespect for food. You may not understand this, and maybe it's good that you don't. But when I was a boy years ago, your age, he paused and sighed, I was in a terrible place. 
a place where people had barely enough food to survive. Sometimes not even that. John felt goosebumps as the man, who had begun silently weeping again, went on. But thanks to the good Lord, I somehow made it out of there. And now, just like you, I have all the food I could ever eat. But, he looked John straight in the eye, unlike you, because of what I went through, I realize every bit of food is a precious gift from God, a precious gift of life. So when I saw you boys treating food like a toy or like worthless garbage, it just sort of made me remember all those old feelings of hunger and fright from way back when, and that's when the tears started to come. I'm really sorry, Mr. Isaacs, John said with his head low. I didn't mean to. Of course you didn't, the man said, now with a clear, forgiving smile. You go out and play now. I'll take care of this. Just promise me that the next time you feel like acting disrespectfully to a piece of food, you'll try to think of the boy who didn't have any and what a precious gift it is that you do. John had lots to think about as he walked out of the cafeteria that day, but one thing he knew already, that he had just been part of the last food fight of his entire life. We should all try to think about what food really is, where it comes from, and not to waste it, not to disrespect it, not to disgrace it. Beware of the aver of Baal not wasting food, not getting rid of food unnecessarily, wanting to avoid as best possible as best we can. Food is a terrible thing to waste or to take for granted. When we think about how precious food is and how many in the world don't have it or have access to it, we should realize it really is a special gift, especially in our first world countries, especially in America and Israel, around the world. Some parts of the world live in a food desert. Have you ever heard of the term food desert? It's a very famous phrase where there's no supermarkets around. There's no grocery store around. There's nowhere to get fresh fruit or fresh produce around. We take things for granted. There's a stop and shop literally five minutes from my house. And even better than that, around the corner from my house, there's a kosher supermarket in my neighborhood, a wonderful supermarket. I actually send an email on Monday, Tuesdays, and they deliver on Thursdays in the summer and on Wednesdays in the regular year. It's around the corner. Mamash, beautiful, amazing. But how many people don't have that? There's a supermarket desert. I used to work in very needy areas, high-risk areas, high-need areas, because I had a scholarship for occupational therapy my first four years working for the Board of Ed. Now, two years later, I'm out of that, but I would walk around these neighborhoods with a hat outside, because they're very dangerous neighborhoods, and I would notice how there really was very little access to fresh food. There was one supermarket, and I wouldn't even step foot into that supermarket. I felt it was scary. So people in that neighborhood who live in the projects, who live in Section 8 housing, you're thinking about areas like bed East New York, Brownsville, not good areas, not safe areas, dangerous areas. They don't have access to good parks. They don't have access to food. And it's just a really bad negative cycle. I feel like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't have access to parks. You don't have access to food. You're going to get into danger zones. You're going to be in bad situations. You're going to have bad friends. You're going to hang out in bad areas and it's going to repeat. And then you're still not going to have the areas, the good things. You're still going to repeat. How do we break the cycle? 
How do we get them out of the cycle? There has to be someone who gets out of the funk, who gets out of it and says, this has to stop. We need to give them supermarkets. We need to give them parks. We need to give them places, safe places to be. Make sure that they're well kept. You don't give them a park where there's hypodermic needles everywhere, God forbid. You don't give them a park where there's garbage every five feet. You don't give them a park where there's terrible things lying around. You don't give them a park that has broken windows, broken gates, broken slides, broken lights. No kid is going to want to play there. You give them good parks. You give them supermarkets. You don't make it more accessible to have Burger King and McDonald's than to have Pathmark, Allah Shalom, or whatever nowadays, King Cullen, uh, I don't even know, Cherry Valley, whatever. But if you make it more accessible to people to afford unhealthy food than to afford healthy food, you're asking for trouble. Why is it that Whole Foods, which we order from, we love Whole Foods on Amazon, but why is it that their prices are twice as high as like buying Twinkies in a Cherry Valley in the middle of Yahapitz? Should it be that a box of Twinkies, which is terrible for you, is a dollar, but a, a bag of apples that are great for you is four and a half dollars? Is that normal? Organic produce, good produce, and I'm all for... You know, all types of food. I'm very ha- happy for healthy food and good choices. But if the healthy choice is four times ex- as expensive as McDonald's and Burger King, what are people going to do? People that are in low tiers, that don't have a lot of money, and we're not rich, you know. I don't even know if we're considered lower class, middle class, whatever. We make it. Baruch Hashem, we have a house. Baruch Hashem, we have a car and we have jobs. And we live in a wonderful community. But, you know, we, we make do with what we can. We have a beautiful little house, you know. But some people don't even have houses. Some people don't even have apartments. Some people have to live in shelters. I've worked with kids who live in shelters. I've worked with kids who live in homeless places, you know, who live in transition housing, they call it. I remember one of my students, I don't remember his name offhand, such a good kid, and they were so excited because they were looking at a two-bedroom beautiful apartment in Connecticut. And he lived in like a homeless shelter. He lived in transition housing. And I felt so bad. They don't have a permanent address. What kind of food do they have access to? Do they have access to washer dryers? Do they have access to showers? I don't know. I don't know. You have people that have supermarket deserts. And it's a real thing. We might not see it in our Jewish communities, but it is out there very present. Just walk into any of these neighborhoods in a safe way and you'll see it. I would get off the train in bed and there was one supermarket in all of the blocks that I walked. Maybe two for all of the blocks. How is that? That's crazy. Here, on one of the main blocks, you have a Cherry Valley and then you have a Stop and Shop and then you have a this. They didn't even have CVS or Walgreens. How do people get their prescriptions? How do people, excuse me, my voice. How do people get their RX, their prescription? How? I don't know. But it has to be that we understand, we appreciate what wonderful gifts Hashem gave us. Yeah, my house is not as big as the, the Schmerl's. My house is not as big as the Yonkel's. But you have a house. Yeah, my car is not as beautiful as the, as the, the Schmenkel's. Yeah, but you have a car. Ah, but blah, 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 blah. No. Ezehu Ashir HaTzameach Bechalko. Perkeyovs teaches us in Daladal from Ben Zoma. Okay, so your house is small, but Baruch Hashem, you have a house. Hashem gives you exactly what you need. No, I don't need a 14-bedroom house. Thank you very much. Hashem gave me a beautiful little small house. I'm very happy with it. We fix it up the way we can. Okay, so kids share a room. It's not the end of the world. It might be even better. 
Why does every kid need three bedrooms to himself? I don't know. We appreciate what we have. People in the world don't have nothing, don't have anything. Think about this amazing quote, which a person should really understand. It's a very famous phrase, which the Red Cross Organization of Canada borrows and mentions as well. If you have food in the refrigerator, I'm not talking about amazing cooked dishes. You have food in the refrigerator. You have clothing on your back. You have a roof over your head and you have a place to sleep, then you're richer than 75% of this world. It makes me bothered that people complain about everything nowadays. People complain, oh, this daughter, this daughter, this son, this son, I have to take care of everyone in the family, I have to worry about everyone in the family, I have to be anxious about this decision. No, don't micromanage. Let your kids take care of their own life, especially if they're married with their own kids. Let them take care of themselves. Let your friends deal with their own issues. Let your kids deal with their own issues. Let your coworkers deal with your own issues. I'm not worrying about my friends' issues. I'm not worrying about my, my anyone's issues. I only worry about my own. And there are so many people that I have seen personally that have major, major problems that my little problems are not something to stress over, to anxiety over, to micromanage over. It is not worth it, first of all, and it makes no sense. Okay, so I'll get a little stress here and there. My wife and I will figure it out. There are people that cannot get food on their table. Mamash. There are people that don't have apartments. There are people that don't have housing, that don't have access to food. And we're worried about uh, if I'll make it to this appointment, if I'll make it to the to the haircut place, to the stylist, if I'll make it to the mechanic, if I'll make it to the this or that. We figure it out. It'll work out. You don't stress. You don't anxiety over it. You understand there are people that don't have food in their fridge. There are people that don't have credit cards, that don't have debit cards, that even could put it on layaway to pay it off eventually. There are people that starve in the world. Third world countries don't even have access to healthy, clean water. There are people that don't have clothing. What do you think Yad Leia does? We're going to talk about They don't have clothing, a beautiful thing. There are people that don't have a roof, don't even have rent, don't even have a place to go. You're richer than 75% of the world. And your problems, you put your pecolas on the table, you'll gladly take yours back when you see everyone else's. Understand to be appreciative that you have food, you have a fridge, you have a house, you have a roof. There's so many greater problems that I've seen point blank. People that don't even have a stable life. Do you know how many files I've seen over my six years in the DOE that have a red flag? Do you know what a red flag means? That means there's a major issue in the family where like one parent is has a restraining order against the child or there's a restraining order against each other. You're not allowed to tell one parent about the info in the, in the IEP, the Individualized Education Program document. You're not allowed to talk about this or that. They had a red flag because that's a major issue. Baruch Hashem, we have families, we have children, we have spouses, we have friends. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't fret the small stuff. You got the clothing on your back. You got the food in the fridge. You got the roof over your head. You have a place to sleep. You're richer than 75% of the entire world. And there's billions of people in the world. So just understand that. We have to appreciate these things we take for granted. Especially food. Not make it as a main epitome activity of the day but something we do along the way of our journey of the day. Gotta think about these wonderful organizations that give food to those who need it. 
such as Tomchei Shabbos, Maspia, food banks, and the like. Maspia does it in a beautiful way. I'm, I'm majorly awed by how they do it. I think it's amazing. My wife has taken students in the past when we lived in Brooklyn to the Brooklyn Showcase showroom, restaurant, whatever you want to call it. And Flabush, it's amazing what they do. They make it like a restaurant. Tom Cheshabbos gives food in a respectful, beautiful, private manner. Our local food bank has a beautifully stocked area people could come to. And even the food pickup, which helps so many people along Long Island, recently has been so helpful for so many. A real helpful idea, such a mitzvah. Listen to what masbia.org, I encourage any organization I ever mention, it's not because I get a cut, not because I get percentages, it's because it's a wonderful organization, I think does wonderful things, and they could always use our help. So it's always good to mention, especially if it relates to the topic at hand. Maspia is wonderful. Listen to what they talk about. They have three locations, Queensborough Park, Flatbush. They're a non-profit soup kitchen network and food pantry every day, providing hot, nutritious meals for hundreds of New Yorkers in desperate need of food. Alongside the hot meal program, they also give out bags of much-needed groceries every week to those with not enough at home through our weekend take-home package program. Theirs, not mine. Maspia works not only to feed the hungry, but to provide free, wholesome, and delicious meals for people in a restaurant-style environment, which I think is the key thing they do. They could do it in a soup kitchen way, but that's not the way they do it. They make it look like a restaurant you would go out to eat. So the family, the kids, might think they're going to a restaurant. I love this restaurant, Mommy. We come here every day, not realizing that they're being helped and they're being saved every day in such a nice way. With volunteer waiters serving each person with respect and with dignity. Maspia Soup Kitchen Network emergency food programs serve over 2 million meals a year in two main categories. They serve roughly 100,000 100, hot sit-down dinners to clients at the restaurant like soup kitchens. And the rest in emergency care packages with the equivalent of nine meals worth of groceries for every member of the family. Maspia goes to great lengths to provide nutritious food to their clients, including as much fresh produce as possible. The meal, which is served by volunteer waiters, includes a starter salad, beverage, soup, a protein like chicken or fish, two hot side dishes, and dessert. They serve even more than I give my kids. Amazing. We place great em- they place great emphasis on serving clients with dignity and respect, seen both in the food they serve and in the restaurant-like setting in which it is served. Providing these meals requires immense resources, including a full-time kitchen and chef. Full-time. Hundreds of weekly volunteers to prepare food, greet the guests, and serve the clients. The hot dinner service caters to the old and frail, the homeless and people who are in a crisis situation with no means to cook for themselves. They serve roughly 2,000 hot dinners a week out of the three locations. You could only imagine what they had to do during Corona for all those who were in need and more. The gold standard of an emergency food package is to include enough food for three meals for three days for every member in the family. They model their packages on the My Plate meal size recommendations, which the government says should have grains, should have fruit, should have vegetables, should have dairy, if it's not milk and meat, obviously, and should include a, a protein or a fish, which includes the grains, the fruits, the vegetables, and the protein. The package size varies relative to family size. They have a guide for how they create the packages. Packages cater more to women and children who have a home to cook in but have no means to buy raw ingredients. Isn't that just amazing? To be able to serve food in a beautiful manner, in a restaurant fashion, really gives people the respect, the love, the care that they need, that they may feel sorely lacking 
due to a variety of reasons. I love that it gives people the independence. It gives them the independence to feel like they could come and have the respect and dignity. That's why I'm such a fan of the highest level. I mean, Rambam brought it to us hundreds of years ago. But the best way of giving tzedakah, do you know, is to give someone the means to support themselves, to give them a loan or to give them a job that they could be self-sufficient. There's a famous Chinese proverb. Give someone fish, they'll eat for a day. Teach someone how to fish, they'll eat for a lifetime. You're better off helping someone in a way where they can help themselves. That's the whole idea of occupational therapy. My job, which I love, my occupation. We teach people how to be independent. We teach people how to get on their own. Give them the skills to do it themselves. I show them how to write the pens, to hold the pencil so they could do it themselves. I show them how to hold the scissors so they could cut themselves. I show them how to glue. I show them how to button, how to zipper, how to snap so they can be independent themselves. We show people how they could get the respect. We give it to them in a restaurant fashion through maspia. You're giving them the ability to feel independence, to get served in a way that they don't feel like they're taking. You give people the ingredients so they could cook for themselves, so they could feel self-sufficient. You're giving them some function back. You're giving them some independence back. And that's all about OT. That's all about giving a person the ability to be as independent as possible, living life to its fullest, which is one of the slogans of AOTA, the organization in America. Think of Tom Shabbos, especially Queens, they have many branches. What is their mission? To serve as middlemen between hungry and those willing to share on an all-volunteer basis, giving at least 70, 90 cents of each donated dollar to food distribution. What do they do? For more than 30 years, they give food packages on a weekly basis to needy families and individuals throughout Queens, New York. Services expand into parts of Long Island. There are 400 packages delivered weekly. I can tell you personally, we have done this on at least one or two occasions. My wife and I, we talked about the Eliyahu Hanavi story very early on in the Tani Talks Life or the lecture series where we gave, it was really a wonderful feeling. I happen to think chesed with the hands is one of the best types. I love it. Hands on giving where you pack the food and deliver it. We gave it in some houses. We would meet the person. Most times we would deliver it, knock and run away. How can you give independence? How can you give the secrecy, the dignity without them seeing who you are? The most anonymous way is best. But one time we couldn't find someone. A guy came up, showed us where to go, and then he fully disappeared. We think it was Eliyahu Hanavi, and he directed us. It was a wonderful experience. I could tell you firsthand, they do wonderful work. The recipients... Very widely, it could be a woman with children whose husband has left, Lo an elderly couple on a very limited pension, a family whose breadwinner suddenly lost a job, families whose illness saps the resources or other cases of despair. The denominator commonly is need. The recipients are referred by local clergy, school principals, or teachers, seeing that kids are missing meals, social workers. They're volunteers, they're encompassing the spectrum of ages and professions and backgrounds. The goal is to care for those who are in need and how is it funded it comes to the generosity of individuals and firms who wish to see direct positive results for the contributions in the community no salaries it's volunteer purchase 95 percent of the food distributed it's a wonderful idea to get people the groceries the food they need to be as self-sufficient as possible truly mika amcha yisrael who is like the jewish people only in recent years with social justice and human rights does non-secular society think about all these things? But for hundreds of years, the Jews already knew this. Like at Shechah 
all the mitzvahs that are Taluya Ba'aretz in Eretz Yisrael that Hashem already gave to the Jews thousands of years ago, thinking about the needy, thinking about the downtrodden, giving or Truma to the Levites, to the Kalanim, who didn't have a salary, they're working for Hashem. They probably didn't have much money. Hashem said, you give them a 40th, a 50th, or a 60th of your field. Make sure they're taken care of. Think about the places in Israel. Yad Eliezer with the food baskets. Yad Leah with the clothing. When I was in Israel on Thursdays in Rashid, when I went for yeshiva for two years, we had this wonderful food packing mission. I used to call it the... the um, at the end of it, we called it the Or Menachem mission for my brother, Le Eloi Nishmas. But in general, it was a food packing on Thursdays. I would go take schlep 10 guys with me. We would pack food for like maybe an hour or so, 15-minute ride each way with the Sabari Sabari, the, the Sherud service. That was actually one of the highlights of my entire week. They called themselves Yad Yosef HaMashbir and Ramat Beit Shemesh Aleph. We went from Beit Shemesh and Reshit. It was one of the highlights of my week. On, on Tuesdays, we also had a chesed thing where we were big brothers, but that wasn't nearly the same thing. Amazing. To be able to food pack is a really wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. Wikipedia explains that Yad Eliezer is a Jewish poverty relief organization in Israel. It's best known for its monthly distribution of thousands of family food packages, baby formula and baby food packages. Notice how all the names that we mention of these organizations have Yad in them. There's another one, Yad Sara, that helps with like financial or medical services, Yad, because it's about giving with the hand, about giving especially food which is prepared with the hand to those who need it around us. Listen to this amazing organization that works in Israel to stop the wasting of food. This blew me away. Listen to this. Leket, Israel, notice the name, works to do just that, to stop the wasting of food in Israel. Leket explains on its website, leket.org. Leket Israel, the National Food Bank, is the leading food rescue organization in Israel, unique among all other organizations that serve the poor in Israel. And food banks worldwide, Leket Israel's sole focus is to rescue healthy surplus food, I love it, and delivering it to those in need through partner nonprofit organizations. The vision is in Israel, where all surplus nutritious food is rescued and directed to those who need it. The mission is to lead the safe, effective, and efficient collection and distribution of surplus nutritious food in Israel to those who need it. Why was it established? Joseph Gittler, the founder, immigrated to Israel from New York in 2000, was acquainted with statistics of poverty in Israel. The statistics included the understanding that poverty referred to even those who work for a living yet struggle to survive on a daily basis and still remain below the poverty line. In 2003, Table to Table, which was the precursor to Leket, was established with the goal of rescuing nutritious surplus food, preventing food waste, and helping to eliminate the problem of food insecurity. I tell you, in the DOE, I see this every single day, and I don't know what to do. I tell teachers and paras, paraprofessionals, assistant teachers, there is so much wasted food. Every kid gets a bag of so if a class has six kids, eight kids, 12 kids in, in District 75 in special needs, and in Gen Ed where it could be 28 kids, 30 kids, you give a class 30 bags of food for 30 kids, how many of those kids are using that food? What do you think they do with that food? They throw it out. But I say, what about the food? Why are you throwing it out? They say, according to national health safety guidelines, we're not allowed to save it. It's not sanitary. But the food was never opened. It's not sanitary to save it. That flies in the face of logic. Pure baltashchis. 
Is there an American alternative that we can do? Especially for the DOE. Can we give it to the homeless? Can we rescue it for the those less fortunate? Can we give it to homeless shelters? Can we give it to women's shelters? Can we give it somewhere? What a waste. All that food. So some schools will say, okay, after the kids got, the staff can have or we'll save it. But that's not the rule by and large. It's such a waste. I see it every day. Every day in the school system in the city of New York. But at least in Israel, they figured it out. Maybe America can figure it out too. That would be wonderful. But at least here, they prevent food waste and they help to eliminate the problem of food insecurity. The organization soon became Israel's largest food and food distribution network. What does it do? It deals with harvesting surplus agricultural produce and collecting cooked meals, then sorting and distributing them to the needy throughout the country. Isn't that amazing? In addition, the Nutrition and Food Safety Department ensures that the collection and distribution of the food is held to the highest food safety regulations. Now that is a Jewish answer. Instead of telling me it doesn't reach the national safety regulations, doesn't read the, the sanitary regulations, you get the food safety involved. And you say, we'll check it and make sure it works. Recycle it. There's so much social justice and human rights organizations out there, no one thought to deal with this. We're so much, we're rallying for this, we're rallying for that. Every Tom, Jick, every Tom Jane, Harry, and Schmerl is, is advocated for, but no one thought about doing this in America, rescuing the food and bringing it to the foods, um, the food, I don't even know what they're called, the food, uh, whatever, safety, the health department to, to recycle it, to save it. Israel figured it out. They collect it. They make sure it's safe. They make sure it's sanitary. They make sure it's healthy. And they make sure that it's 100% nutritious. Amazing. Like it, Israel works with a staff of professional dietitians who conduct nutrition workshops for targeted populations geared towards raising awareness of proper nutrition. In 2020, they had 105 employees, 15,000 volunteers, a storage area of 6,000 square meters, a cooling capacity of 10,000 cubic meters, 27 vehicles dedicated, 19,916 tons of food, 100% healthy food, 330 nonprofit organizations received the food from Leket and delivered it to 246,000 needy Israelis per week. In 2019, they rescued 40,758,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables. Amazing! From farmers' fields and packing houses. And in America, we did zilch? I don't know. But definitely not 40,758,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables. From farmers' fields and packing houses. 2,400,000 cooked meals that they rescued from catering halls, hotels, high-tech company cafeterias, events, and Israel Defense Force and Israel Police bases. Even the army has too much food sometimes. Even the police have too much food sometimes. Food waste has severe consequences for society, the environment, and the economy. Food rescue addresses these problems by productively using surplus food instead of destroying it. I will say a caveat. I did not look into if America does this yet. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But I definitely saw this in Israel. And it would be wonderful if America does it. I would love if they did. If they did, feel free to let me know at reptiatshirajoment.com. I didn't see it. I didn't look for it. But it would be wonderful to know if they did or not. But if not, we challenge America to do so as well. And I am not a leader of any type. But I metaphorically think to myself that it should be a challenge to figure out in America. 
So food rescue is the distribution of quality edible food that would otherwise have been discarded to populations suffering from nutritional insecurity. The food rescued by Leket Israel is distributed to 330 nonprofit organizations, including homeless shelters, soup kitchens, elderly centers, battered women's centers. I would rather call it centers for women in different situations, but whatever. Community help organizations and schools for at-risk youth. These nonprofit partners serve the food to approximately 246,000 Israelis in need every week, regardless of age, gender, religion, or, eth- or ethnic background. Now, isn't that an amazing and innovative idea? Before we move to some sources, I want to show you what H.com points out about Leket Israel from author Adam Ross. In 2018, Leket, the food rescue charity founded by New York lawyer Joseph Gittler, redistributed 20,000 tons of excess food to the poor from wedding halls, restaurants, and farms all over the country, making it one of Israel's most important welfare institutions. Gittler grew up in Washington Heights, New Jersey, in a middle-class Jewish family who moved to Teaneck when he was 15. I think he might have grew up in Washington Heights and then moved to Teaneck. That might have been said wrong, but whatever. Gittler became a lawyer and a comfortable life awaited him. But after getting married and working in Manhattan for three years, he decided it was his time to pull the rug in his life in America and move to Israel. I wanted to live in Israel ever since I was around 16, he explains, chasing his decision back to years of learning about the country at Jewish day camps, Jewish day school, and summer camps. Israel was a central part of how I saw Judaism. I wanted to be a part of it. His wife, Lila originally from Toronto, felt the same way they realized it would be best to make the move when they were young. Leaving the material comforts of Teaneck behind was difficult, Joseph says, but telling my parents was harder. The oldest of four children, his new baby daughter, was the first grandchild in the family. So at age 25, he and his wife moved to Ranana, a leafy town. They say it's like Teaneck, I don't know. 20 kilometers north of Tel Aviv, where Joseph worked for a successful software company. Three years later, with two children enjoying the high-tech boom, Gittler read a news item that changed his life. Israel's National Insurance Agency announced that despite an upturn in the economy, tens of thousands of Israelis were living below the poverty line. We should never know from such things, and everyone should have enough money, should have enough food, clothing, and everything to always be happy, healthy, safe in every way. Joseph and his family were living a comfortable life, but the harsh reality of their report stuck in Joseph's mind. We would go to weddings and celebrations of friends. I've said this to my wife before. I wonder how many people also, especially in America weddings, and see how much food was wasted. How much food was being thrown away, he recalls. It was something people always spoke about at events and restaurants. They're wasting so much food, people would say. The waste really bothered me, Gittler says. And I started thinking about connecting the dots. What can be done? Gittler didn't just settle on buying an extra recycling garbage can. He quit his well-paying job to schlep excess food from wedding halls and restaurants to the homeless shelters of Renana. I had the luxury of having a few months savings, he said. My wife and I worked out. We could give it a go for three months and see what would happen. Real Jewish way. Joseph's first hit was a local wedding hall called Eden on the Water. Armed with some plastic Tupperware, he himself headed to the event around midnight as they were packing up. He tiptoed around caterers, reassuring them he wouldn't get under their feet. But to his surprise, he found the caterer couldn't be happier to help. They were just delighted not to be throwing so much away. In fact, 
everyone we approached was happy to help. Both those giving the food and those receiving it, even if it meant opening up in the early hours or giving us keys to their premises. Everyone just said yes. Would that apply in America? I don't know. Anyone who's well-connected, please look into the idea for America. Soon enough, Gitler was delivering to homeless shelter centers, shelters for women who were battered or different situations, and homes for children with disabilities. The budget the charities were saving on food costs enabled them to allocate more funds to their other core activities. As the quantities outgrew the capacity of his garage, Joseph found premises, received dozens of calls from volunteers answering his call, asking for help, and the organization Leckett was born. Now, if Leket sounds familiar, it's because it should. The name belongs to a mitzvah in the Torah originally intended for farmers stipulating that when ears of corn or grain, whatever, fell to the ground during reaping, they were not to be picked up, but rather left for the poor. Very famous in the story of Rus and Shavuos, it was one of a set of Torah laws relating to farmers, the gatekeepers of the economy, to look after the hungry. We work with many farms, Joseph says, but we've extended the mitzvah to wedding halls, restaurants, and refrigerated trucks. One of the schools that receives hot meals daily from Leket recently told them most of the students are not able to receive an adequate lunch from home. Bringing them together to eat a filling and nutritious meal changes the whole atmosphere at the school. It brings a common feeling of equality. Again, in schools that I work in also, they don't, excuse me, always have good food. And at least they have in school, and I'm all for that. But the excess, the waste, is the problem. With the support of private donors and some government support, Leket now works in every major city in Israel with tens of thousands of volunteers and 15 refrigerated trucks. Its operations are increasing at pace. Much of its work is on farms with Leket teams picking and collecting leftover fruits and vegetables that would have gone to waste. They recently picked up 500 tons of excess potatoes a farmer was struggling to sell. At every major junction, Joseph had felt many miracles at hand. We had a voice message from a Mr. Cohen who said he had been supporting us to the tune of $20,000 for the past few years, wanted to increase his support. We looked through our records and saw there was no record of such a supporter. When we called him and politely let him know we had confused us with another charity, he asked us about our work. And a month later, we received a check for $500,000. Hitler says most people look at problems that have been around for a long time and say, if no one's done anything about it by now, it probably can't be solved. That's not the solution. That's not the answer. That didn't stop Hitler from trying, and there's still so much more to do. Think about what you could do, especially in the world, especially related to food. Perkelis tells us, Where there are no people, you need to be the person. When there's no man, you strive to be that man, you step up. Do we live to eat or do we eat to live? Do we have our priorities right? Do we realize food is just a fuel stop along the way? Making sure that it tastes and it looks good but doesn't consume our being. Maybe we can learn to change our outlook on it and uplift it. To use food to bring us closer to Hashem. Make the world a better place because we know Devarm teaches to us. When you have eaten it, you're filled. When you have praised Hashem. When you have praised Hashem. you got to praise Hashem. You give thanks to Hashem what He gave you. Hashem tells us, I've given you everything on the earth, all the trees, it's all yours from Boratius 1. He also teaches us, every creature could be yours 
if it has the right signs, don't eat flesh with its life button on it from Boratius 9. Vayikra 11 teaches us you could eat those things in the water when it has fins and scales. Devarim 12 teaches us Hashem gives us the land. He gives us the meat. You want the meat? Go eat the meat. Shechted properly, obviously. And Boratius also teaches us every creature you can have. I give you the green. I give you the creatures. Hashem gave us all the food to fill ourselves up with. Not to waste away. Not to gouge ourselves endlessly, needlessly. Hashem wants us to eat of the kosher of the world, but in a proper way. Gemara Beitza tells us that a person's livelihood is allocated during Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks. During that time, we're all judged, but it's told to us how much we'll earn for the year, except for expenditures for Shabbat, expenditures for Yom Tov, expenditures for the school fees of tuition, which should be very calming for all of us parents to hear, and not your parents. No exact amount is determined because Hashem decides at the beginning of the year how much we will have in terms of food, money, and more. If you use it for a mitzvah, it's not even calculated in the original amount and Hashem will get it back to you. The Gemara Brachos points out on 21, we know it is a law to recite Berkat because it says, The Rambam points out in blessings in Mishnah Torah, the Torah imposes the obligation on a person when he is satisfied, when you eat and you're satisfied, not when you gouge yourself needlessly, not when you eat for sport like Nathan's. You eat to satisfy yourself. You don't gouge yourself for no reason. And then you say the Birkat Amazon. Gemara Erevin 18b says, when Noah sent out the, the raven, sent out the bird, it came and it went and it went to see what it needed. It went and got the olive leaf and it brought it back. Then no one knew it was, and, and it never came back when he sent it again. No one knew it was the time to, to venture out. It was the time to be right because he knew it was the right timing. It's all about timing in general, all about understanding how to eat, when to eat, and in what position to eat. We need to be grateful and thank Hashem for all the food we get, even if it doesn't tap our palate, even if we don't like it. Ah, you made me bean soup, but it tastes nasty. You don't say that to the wife. You don't say that to the husband. You eat it, and you say in a very PC way, many rabbis know how to say it better than me, how you want to go about the future. Anything we eat, we should praise Hashem for and use it in the right ways and the right reasons. The Gemara Moed Katan 28 talks about, and these sources are from Safaria, length of life, children of sustenance, do not depend on one's merit, but they're dependent upon fate. Because one rabbi would daven and the other rabbi would daven and things would happen. And the Gemara in Gittin 7 points out if a person sees the sustenance limit, what should he do? Use it for charity. Think about all the people we talked about, all the organizations we talked about. They always can use help. Brachot 55a, a person will come during the meal and a host will be in a position to give him food immediately. Don't make him wait. That's why the sages praise a person who acts appropriately at a meal. They understand that the table is like a misbeach. We should use our tables and our meals for mitzvahs, like Torah, singing and eating for mitzvahs. How about those around us who may need a warm place to eat with a warm home-cooked meal, like the idea in the Seder, Why do we start the Seder talking about the poor? Because that's supposed to be the way we look at the world. Always thinking about those who are less fortunate. Always helping those who are less fortunate. It shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be the forethought. It should be the first thought. Chesed, starting in the home, beginning in the home, understanding it starts from the home. Baba Bacha 10a points out, a person's entire allotment, livelihood is from Rosh Hashanah. But a person 
doesn't lose out about giving to the hungry, giving to those around him. Hashem will get it back to them. If he doesn't merit, then it will be applied to him that the poor will be cast out of your house, cast out to your house. So give to those around you. The Kedash Yitzchak points out, nourishment provides for different aspects of the universe to the person. The most advanced species are provided with most advanced form of nourishment available. So the type of food provided is degreed by the, the, the lower elements. So understand, be careful what you put in your mouth. Because we are going to get nourishment from things that are less than us, plants and animals. Make sure it's good things that will affect you in a good way, like you talked about in the beginning. Brachot 58 points out, Adam put so much effort before he got bread. He plowed, he sowed, he reaped, he sheaved, he threshed, he winnowed. He separated the grain, he ground the grain, he sifted, he kneaded, he baked, and then he ate. And they're talking in the Gemara times, I, on the other hand, wake up, I find these things prepared for me. Human society employs a division of labor. Each individual benefits from the service of the entire world. And that's the Gemara times when they didn't have modern appliances. They didn't have any appliances. They didn't have electricity, which is fascinating to think about. They had candles. They didn't have modern plumbing. They had outhouses, holes in the, I don't even know what. They didn't have any of these things. And they were saying how grateful they are. Allah has kama v'kama, we need to be. Ravos want to say, Brachot 17, the world to come is not like this world. The world to come, there's no eating, no drinking, no relationships, no business negotiations. They just sit by Hashem and they eat and drink. Do we ever really stop to pause, to think, to listen to where food comes from? Who planted? Who sowed? Who baked? Who set it up? We should be appreciative that the stores get it. We just buy from the store. It's, it's anathema to history that ever was like this. This is only in the past hundred or so years that there's such a thing as a supermarket or a grocery store. It used to be you went to the field, you got the grain, you made the grain in every single person's house. Be appreciative of every aspect of where food comes from the store to the table or to the door if you deliver like we do. Track so from point, points out you cannot disrespect any aspect of food. Don't throw it about. Don't sit on a basket containing dates or figs. You can sit on certain things, but don't use it as a covering. Don't use it as, as just to lean on. You have to be respectful to it. Be careful with the food. Respect it. Don't trash it. Don't waste it. Chulin, 84a. Understand a person should consume meat only due to appetite. Consume meat when he feels a need to eat it. Gitten, 62. The rabbis talk about, do you want to taste the food or not? It's prohibited for a person to taste anything until he gives food to his animal. As the verse says, I will give grass for your animals. And afterward, you shall eat and be satisfied. Eat when you're hungry. Eat to satiation. Not just eat for the sake of eating, but make sure to feed those around you first. Such as your spouse, then your kids, and your pets, and then yourself. Prekayavos 3.3 points out, If three eat at the table and they didn't speak of words of Torah, it's like eating of the dead. God forbid. But if you eat at a table and you speak different Torah, it's like eating at the table of Hashem. It's like eating at a Mizbeach. Use your food table for Torah, for mitzvahs, for chesed, for good. Devarim 14, you shouldn't eat anything abhorrent. This to me is the source against ideas such as Nathan's gorging eating contest. Don't be abhorrent. Don't eat anything abhorrent. Don't eat anything gross, disgusting, or in a disgusting sport or manner. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, disciple of the wise of justice fairs, you just as he eats, drinks, supports his family within his means, within his capital, within his material. Don't overburden yourself more than necessary. Eat in the right way. And the Mishnah Torah also says, don't eat with your stomach full. Reduce about one-fourth of the quantity. Don't drink water during the meal. Save a little mixed with wine. That's according to what he says, but eat to satiation, not to over-ingestion.
Eat till you're satiated. Don't eat till overstuffingness. Eat in the right place. Don't walk. Don't ride while you're eating. Eat in one place. Shnei Luchot Abrit points out, don't eat like a glutton. Eat in order to stay alive. We learn this from Yosef, who said to his brothers, is there enough grain to still the hunger? That's the meaning of how much you need to have. Don't overindulge, don't over, underindulge, but eat in the right way. Make sure to live and eat within your means. Eat to a proper extent. Eat to live, do not live to eat. Baba Batra, almost done here. Rabbi Abdimi, the Gemara talks about Rabbi Abdimi from Haifa says, Before a person eats and drinks, he has two hearts. His heart is unsettled because he's hungry. After he eats, he has one heart. He's not unsettled from hunger because you eat to alleviate the hunger, not eating just for eating. Perkei Elvis teaches us 6.4, The way of Torah is to do it in a moderate way. Eat bread with salt, ration the water, sleep on the ground. Your life should be in a way where you're not overindulging. The Chavetz Chaim once had a visitor and in his house, I think it was the Chavetz Chaim, he only had a table, a chair, a bed, and the visitor said, what's with all the furniture? Why you don't have anything? And he says to the visitor, where's your furniture? Visitor said, I don't have furniture, I'm traveling. The Chavetz Chaim said, I'm also traveling in this world. What do I really need? What do we really need? We need 15 bedrooms. We need a 14-acre house. We need a 17-limo van. No. We need to have 16 dishes at Shabbos. Is that ridiculous? Yes, that's ridiculous. We don't need so much. Moderation, moderation. Yuma, 83. The sages talk about if someone has a certain condition, they need to feed him honey and types of sweet foods because there's an ailment for the person. Remember, this world is a corridor, just a transition, a platform to the next world. Why ingest so much so often? To be more flesh for the maggots in the grave after 120 years? Take care of yourself and those around you. Eat well. Be physically active. Make sure to eat in a proper way with a proper mindset, with a proper amount of nice-looking and nice-tasting food. And now we're going to wrap up. Thank you for staying with me. I know it's a little longer than usual. We usually aim for an hour. Hashem gave us food to fill ourselves up with, not to waste away, not to gouge ourselves needlessly. Hashem wants us to eat of the kosher world in the proper way. Hashem decides at the beginning of the year how much we will have in terms of food, money, and more. If you use it for a mitzvah, it's not even calculated in the original amount. Hashem will get it back to you. We should be grateful. Thank Hashem for all food we get, even if it doesn't tap our palate, even if we don't like it. Don't tell your wife it tastes like garbage. Don't tell your husband it tastes like garbage. Anything we eat should praise Hashem for and use it in the right ways and reasons. We should use our tables and our meals for mitzvahs, like Torah, singing, and eating for mitzvahs to help out those around us who may need a warm place to eat with warm home-cooked meals, like the idea in the Seder, whoever is hungry, join us. Make sure to use food in the right ways and that's nourishing and healthy with choices of what experts recommend in terms of health, such as might play with having dairy, food, vegetables, carbs, and poultry fish. Do we ever really stop to pause, think, and listen where food comes from, who planted, who sowed, who baked it, how it got to us? We should be appreciative of every aspect where it comes from, the store to the table, and from the world to the store, or to the door. Be careful with the food, respect it, don't trash it, don't waste it. Eat when you're hungry, eat to satiation, not just for the sake of eating. Feed those around you first, spouse, kids, pets, then you. Use your food table for Torah, for mitzvahs, for chesed, for good. Don't do anything abhorrent. I believe the source of don't eat anything abhorrent, that to me is a source against ideas such as Nathan's gorging contest. Don't be abhorrent. Don't eat anything abhorrent. Don't do gross things. Don't eat in a gross way. No food fights. No wasting food in such a disgusting manner. Make sure to live and eat within your means. Eat to a proper extent. Eat to live and not live to eat. Remember, this world is just a card or a transitional platform to the next world. Why ingest so much so often to be more flesh for the maggots in the grave after 120 years? 
Take care of yourself and those around you. Eat well, physically active, eat in a proper way with a proper mindset, proper, nice looking, nice tasting food. The question about food ends up being, do we live to eat or do we eat to live? I hope we will all answer in the latter that we eat to live. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have good food. It doesn't mean it shouldn't look nice, but it does mean it shouldn't be the center, the focus and the goal of our lives every day. Make yummy and pretty food. Get the kids to help food. My kids love to help and they're very little, but make it in moderation. Eat it in a moderation, in a proper way. With making blessings, talking with those around you, eating slowly to your feeling, but not overstuffing yourself. Think about what you could do, especially in the world, especially related to food. Remember, the food is just a fuel stop along the way of our day. Hopefully, we can train ourselves to learn to fix our outlook on it, to uplift it, to use food to bring us closer to Hashem, to make the world a much better place. This has been Tani Talks Life, where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Join us next time, and I'm your host, Tani.